0: Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times. Because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss.
1: Hi, folks, it's Voss here from the ChrisVossShow.com. The Chris show.com Welcome to the Big Show, my family and friends. It's another Chris Voss show. You know, uh, what was it? Like seven days ago, we just broke into our uh, 15th year. 15 years we've been doing this. And gosh darn it, I'm tired. If it wasn't for the powerful Devil's Mountain coffee that I have that has like, what is it, like 1,450 milligrams of caffeine in it? That's a lot, folks. That's like 14 cups of coffee, basically. (laughs) It wasn't for that. I don't know what I'd do. And maybe I don't know what I'll do anyway. I'd just be on a gurney laying here inside some sort of hospital. They'd have to bring the mics in, and I'd just be, like, doing the show with some sort of, uh, I don't know, one of those iron lungs on, and uh, you just hear me uh, breathe through the thing. And then, of course, uh, I don't know, maybe that might be a good show. I'd have nurses as co-hosts, and, uh, you know, I'd have n- our nurse Ratchet come in, and, and she could be, like, a co-host. She could do the sidekick, and uh, I'd play the I'd play the straight man, and she could do the jokes or something. I don't know. Was was uh, Nurse Ratchet ever hot in the uh, original? What was it? Uh, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Maybe we could be in the same hospital bed, and we can have Jack Nicholson come in because he's kind of at that at same age too, and do it. I don't know why we decided to improv the ramble, the talking about hospitals and shit, but here we are. There you go. Uh, anyway, guys, uh, we have an amazing gentleman, a multi-book author on the show. We're going to be talking about some really cool, fun stuff. He's got a really uh, interesting book. Well, two interesting books that are filled with stories that uh, are going to entertain you, make you think, and, of course, uh, make you want to buy them and give them away for Christmas. It's Christmas coming up, so uh, this is important time to listen to all the shows, the two to three a day, the 10 to 15 a week, so that you can figure out what gifts to give away for Christmas. You got to start thinking about this stuff because what the smart people do. I always keep an extra pile of uh, books laying around or gifts laying around, you know, whatever I got from the Goodwill. Uh, for those people who uh, end up giving me something that I didn't really care about and wasn't didn't get to give them a gift, but they always show up on Christmas Day and go, hey, I got you something. You're like, damn it. And uh, so then yeah, I'm always like, hey, I got you something. I thought exactly of you. And I'm going to pretend like I like you for a day because you gave me something. And then I go get some books. And I'm like, here, take two copies of this. They're like, why'd you get me two copies? I'm like, I don't know. It's the backup stuff. Um, it beats regifting, folks, because people know when you regift. Don't regift. That's just bad business, And especially if you don't wrap it and take the, take the, uh, the you know, you give them a book where the, the authors uh, said uh, to X, Y, Z, and they're like, hey, why does this have a different name in it? Don't do that. I've seen that movie. Anyway, guys, uh, we're going to get to him in a second. But as always, this is the queue up for the guilt and shaming. Uh, refer the show to your family, friends, or relatives because then you can spend the holidays with them. And you can talk about the show instead of talking about politics or, I don't know, viral videos or whatever the sort of kerfuffle that's going on on, on TikTok these days, uh, tell them to go to Chris fortresschristvoss, linkedin.com, fortresschristvoss, youtube.com, Foss, and um, TikTok at Voss one uh, Today we had an amazing gentleman on the show, and he's the author of the newest book uh, that's come out. Uh, Jason Vojevich is on the show with us today. His uh, latest book is called Booze, Babe, and The Little Black Dress. Sounds like Friday's around my house. Anyway, let's recut that so we get the title right, because otherwise people will Google that on Amazon. It's called Booze, Babe, and the Little Black Dress, How Innovators of the Roaring Twenties Created the Consumer Revolution. We'll also tease out his uh, prior book that was really popular uh, called Marketer-in-Chief, How Each President Sold the American Idea. And we'll find out if, uh, if, the, if it ever came to fruition. Maybe we're just still chasing it. Uh, anyway, he is joining us on the show. Where we're going to be talking about both books, some of his thoughts on marketing, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, uh, one of the things I have is uh, we've got to pull up his uh, bio here so that we have it and we can give you the lowdown on his thing. He has a career. That spans more than 25 years. He's launched hundreds of new products, everything from medical devices to virtual healthcare systems to non dairy consumer cheese. What does he have against dairy? Uh, to the next generation alternatives, to the dreaded cone of shame for pets. Wait, he invented that? We'll have to find out. Uh, to sex aids for cows. Really? Wow. I don't know. There's, that's a whole show right there. Uh, he's a graduate of both University of Wisconsin and the University of Minnesota, and he has completed postgraduate studies at MIT Sloan School of Management. We have a lot of people from MIT on. Uh, his formal training has been invaluable, and he tr- credits his true success to growing up in a family of artists, immigrants, and entrepreneurs. They taught him how to carefully observe the world, see patterns before others notice them, and use his insights to create new innovation. Welcome to the show, Jason. How are you? I'm doing great, Chris. How are you? There you go. I am doing awesome. Give us your .coms. Where can people find you on the Internet, sir?
0: Yeah, best place to find me is my personal website, jasontvoyavich.com. You'll inf- find information about all my books, the audiobooks, where to buy them, as well as other projects I'm working on right now. Uh, you can also search for me on LinkedIn or Amazon. It's one of the very, very, very few benefits of having a unique name like Jason. T. Voyage. I'm pretty easy to find. If you found me, I'm the same one.
1: There you go. And there'll be a link on the Chris Voss show as well to you and your books. Uh now we've we've, we've crossed the thing that we have to flush out just a little bit. At one point you uh helped market or launch uh sex aids for cows.
0: Yeah, that's right. It's uh it's it's not half as odd as you might think. Uh huh. if you're from farm country, you kind of already know this. But yeah. You might notice out in the fields, if you're driving through, you're kind of in your car and you're driving around, and all of a sudden you see two cows that you might believe are engaged in amorous activity, and and you've seen this. It's called mounting, and anyone from kind of farm country knows what I'm talking about, but you city folks might need a little lesson. There'll be two female cows that will mount each other. I know, I know, I know. Hear me out. Hear me out. What happens during the kind of cow breeding cycles, when the cow goes into heat, they call it Mm -hmm. an asterisk. Mm -hmm. Other cows sense that, even female cows, male cows. If there's a male cow there, you kind of know what happens. But even a female cow cow will mount another female cow. So Hmm. here's the deal. That's the way that you know, like, okay, that cow is in heat. And usually most dairy these days is artificially inseminated. So the artificial inseminator guy will come by with his tools. We'll just leave it at that. Mm -hmm. He will inseminate the cow. Well, he's got to be able to have a way to know how many times that cow has been mounted. Because the number of times a cow has been mounted equals about how ready that cow is to get pregnant. So. Uh, What I helped launch was essentially, uh, like, imagine a a scratch-off lotto ticket. You kind of have this picture in your mind, right? Mm -hmm. Imagine putting a sticker on the back of it so it's highly adhesive. You slap that bad boy on the back of the cow. And then when the other cow mounts it, they're kind of rubbing off the scratch-off. And when the scratch-off is ready bingo you won the lottery go in there with the artificial inseminator and you know exactly when to inseminate that cow there you so go it's a scratch off lotto ticket is is a sex aid do not try this at home kids uh huh. uh you it is unlikely uh that your spouse will appreciate that uh, putting a sticker on people that are tuning in right now are like is this an only This channel um, this could get weird this you, is really weird.
1: You know, there's some people that God bless them have trouble. Uh, you know, they're human beings that have trouble, uh, you know, uh, getting pregnant and stuff like that. Maybe this is something you can do. You know, just know when you're in your cycle or whatever.
0: <laughs> yeah, boy, boy, that's, uh, t- yeah, don't try mm-hmm. it. Kids, don't try it at home
1: cow mounting it's fridays at my house uh anyway guys uh so oh uh, give us uh, an idea of this new book that you have out called booze babe and little uh black dress what motivated you on to write this book and you're like people damn it need to know these stories
0: yeah i i was one of those kids and you, you this might be you listening i was one of those kids that liked to take things apart to just figure out how they worked <laughs> uh sometimes i was able to put them back together again but different story different day uh I've been in product development my entire career, about 25 years. And it's kind of natural for me to try to figure out, oh, well, why, what were the, what was the first time we started driving cars? When was the first time that we all started living in suburbs? When was the first time we bought cer- certain products in grocery stores? Really important in my line of work to understand why things work the way they work what made a new product successful because most products 99.9 percent of all products ever introduced ever are no longer on the market so it's really important to understand what the winners were and why they won so in my line of work i i research these things i look at them and i noticed that product after product after product that i came at like electric razors toasters radios all kinds of things were all introduced, mass marketed, in the 1920s. Hmm. And I thought, huh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. I wonder, there must be, someone must have written a book on this. I must be able to go to Amazon. It's got 300 and some thousand books. Somebody has gone and collected all this information in a nice packet. Maybe there's some chat GPT thing I can get. And I can just, it'll spit it out at me and I can be done. And I can learn all the things I need to learn. Uh, It didn't work that way. There was no book on this, and I figured if I didn't write it, it wouldn't get written. And the stories are really cool, and Mm. they deserve to be told. So I noticed it. I didn't notice anyone. No one else had done it, so I thought, why not me? So there Mm. you go.
1: There you go. So uh, are these great uh, sort of lessons from the 1920s of product development or marketing or both?
0: You know, there are a lot of both. I think the Mm -hmm. the title kind of gives it away a little bit. You know, Mm -hmm. Booze, Babe, and the Little Black Dress. Booze is obviously about Prohibition. Mm -hmm. Babe is kind of about Babe Ruth. The Little Black Dress is Coco Chanel. And kind of the Little Black black Dress. It's Mm kind of hints at the structure of the book. It's uh, made into three parts. Booze and Prohibition is all about the new products that got launched during that time. You know, automobiles, you know, all the things that came along, unintended consequences of prohibition, frozen food, all of those sorts of things uh, mm-hmm. were, were just at that time. Babe, Babe Ruth is all about entertainment and information. So it's not like new products, but it was the first time baseball became popular, the first time road trips became popular, all of those sorts of things. And then the Little Black Dress is really not a lot about products at all. It's about how we chose kind of our identities because fashion is really all about how we want to present ourselves to the world. So it was Mm -hmm. about that. It was about how kids became consumers. Uh, It was about credit unions. It's about birth control. All of those sort of things are really born of the 1920s. So yeah, it's about products and it's about Mm -hmm. marketing and how they came in. But really it's about who we became as Americans in the 1920s. You know, before then we were kind of mostly what citizens or we were, you know, that in 1920s, we became consumers. We became choice makers. And Mm -hmm. that was a huge transition in our psychology. So, yeah, it's about products and stuff. And the stories are really cool. Mm -hmm. But what underlines all of it is the big change in our collective psychology.
1: There you go. That maybe everyone was sober. Or maybe they weren't. Wait, when they were not. I can promise you that that? they were not. So, when did it was when does the when did the prohibition kick in?
0: Prohibition was essentially throughout the entire 1920s, basically January 1921 through the early 1930s. Uh And prohibition is funny because you think about it in terms of consumer choice, right? That Mm -hmm. the government there was no like it was a constitutional amendment. There was no ambiguity there. You couldn't drink that with, with exceptions uh-huh. and Americans and consumers said, nah, we're, <laughs> we're going to do, we're going to risk jail to go get hammered. Yeah. Uh, so I think of it as a time of, and sometimes my libertarian friends are just get excited about this, that this is the first time when the government understood uh, its limits. And what it could do, and what it could not do, it could not stop you from you know grabbing that fifth of scotch. It could not stop you from grabbing a beer, and it, that's all those unintended consequences, right? You know the mm-hmm. the mob and all kinds of crazy stuff happened, uh, you know, because of prohibition. And that's that's obviously a chapter that kind of features prominently in there. That's booze okay. uh, in there. It's, it's a oh, it's a ton of fun.
1: There you go. So was it, you know, up until the roaring 20s, you know, they called them, and people were just having uh, good fun, uh, dancing and, you know, all sorts of stuff. Before that, we were kind of kind of in survival mode maybe. Uh, you know, where we were just trying to – everyone was just trying to get by and, you know, not die of, you know, stubbing your toe and dying of, uh, you know, some sort of infection, <laughs> Just simple stuff like that. You're like, oh, shit, I got a cut. I'm going to die next week. Damn it. You know? Uh, that sort of thing you know they started inventing uh, you know drugs where you're, you're gonna live you know i don't know um so is that kind of is that kind of where we th- that was kind of the peak of that in the 1920s and why you wrote about it and, and why this kind of turns that page is we kind of start getting to a place in america's society we like hey we got a couple extra bucks in our pocket there's that wall street and we can kind of have some fun and 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 let's uh some extra spending money maybe
0: yeah, it's kind of that was a big part of it for sure. Uh, that yeah. you had a lot more products uh, out there that you could buy. Before then, there just wasn't as much stuff that you could buy. You know, you had a right. lot more people moving into the cities. You had people like Henry Ford who figured out mass production, mm-hmm. like how to not only just make a lot more stuff, but before Henry Ford, people don't quite understand how important Henry Ford really was. So like, oh, you kind of mass produced the Model T. That's not exactly what he did, because people have been mass producing things for 30 to 40 years before then. What Henry Ford figured out is that if you saved money on making a lot more things more efficiently, that Mm. you should pass along those savings to people who are going to buy them. I know Mm. crazy, crazy thoughts that you should think about doing that. And then even crazier, get this. He said, you know what? I want to pay my workers more so that mm-hmm. they can afford to buy my car that I've made cheaper. I, model T, by the way, got cheaper every year it was produced. Mm-hmm. You know, Most people don't know that. Uh, got cheaper each year it came out. The price was lower than it was before. Think about that. Wow. Uh, so he figured out, and everybody copied him. So anyone who wanted to release a product kind of had to copy the good model. So you had a lot more things in the 1920s that got cheaper and got more available. That Mm -hmm. was number one. Number two, you already alluded to it. There's just a lot more money around. Before the 1920s, you didn't have financial infrastructure in the United States. People thought, well, we've got banks, but banks were a mess. Uh, This was the first time where you got companies like the General Motors Acceptance Corporation, GMAC, which some of your listeners might have had a loan through. They were founded in the 1920s, basically to do installment loans for things like cars. So now, Hmm. okay, you had all kinds of stuff. You could afford the stuff Mm -hmm. and you had to know about the stuff, right? If you didn't know about it, it doesn't matter if there's a lot of stuff and you can afford Mm -hmm. it. It doesn't matter if you don't know about it. It's all mass marketing and all advertising kind of came into its own in the 1920s because during World War I, President Wilson created this Committee on Public Information. Its whole job was to sell war bonds. And figured out how to use mass marketing to do that. Trained up a whole bunch of guys. Mm -hmm. And once they left, you know, the war department and the war was over, they didn't have nothing to do. And all of those companies like Henry Ford, General Motors, General Electric, all of them said, we need those guys to work for us. And they hired them all. And the advertising agencies hired them all. And it created this kind of perfect storm. You know, you had a lot more stuff you could afford the stuff and you knew about the stuff. Uh, it was almost like it couldn't not happen, but all there those things go. happened right in the 1920s.
1: There you go. It's like when you first discover you, there's a weed dealer. I don't know
0: what that means. Uh, you have the stuff. You mean right? at 14? So, oh, yeah. wait, Whatever yeah. that is, don't. A... it's legal now in Minnesota. I, I it's heard not, about it's that. cool now. Yeah, it's I've cool
1: heard now. about it. I don't know what it means, uh, but there you go. So uh, for people that are listening, um, why, why is this important? How do we transpose this to today? What lessons can we learn and, and how does this history, uh, really, you know, we, we, one of the sayings I have on the show for my quotes is the one thing man can learn from his history is that man never learns from his history and thereby we go round and round. Um, so how do we, how, how do we apply what you've taught us here in the book? And we'll get into some stories here in a second, but, uh, why is this important? How can we utilize it for today's? Uh, marketplace and business, et cetera, et cetera.
0: I'd, what I usually tell people is you may not be that interested in the history of the 1920s, mm-hmm. but the history of the 1920s is interested in you. Ah. And, and here's oh. the thing. We talked about you know, the mass production, mass finance, mass marketing. We talked about all those things. And we think about all those things as happening to us as consumers. Mm-hmm. But flip the language. We're getting tripped up on the word consumer. We Mm -hmm. think about mass consumption that we're taking, that those things are happening to us. But what we really figured out how to do in the 1920s is become choice makers. Uh That's the important decision. People get all hung up on consumerism and capitalism and all that stuff. That's all fine. You can have that discussion if you want. But what the 1920s taught Americans how to be is choice makers, how to make choices, not just with our products, but what you know, what podcasts they listen to, what sports they participate in, the mm-hmm. family they decide to have, all mm-hmm. of those things. You know, before the 1920s, how did you decide what family you wanted to have? Like, well, you went to church and the priest told you what kind of family you were going to have. <laughs> and that's what you did. <laughs> in the 1920s, you know, you once you kind of opened the Pandora's box of choices and choice making, people said, oh, you can buy this car, that car, that car. Mm. And people said, huh. Well, that means that I can read this newspaper, this newspaper, this newspaper. And they're like, Ooh, yeah, we didn't, we hoped you would just read all of them, but okay, we get, guess you get to make choices there. And they said, Well, wait a second. So I get to choose if I want to have kids or not. And they're like, Oh, Ooh. man, damn it. Yeah.
1: Damn it. I did and
0: that. so when we think about being a choice maker, I think the biggest thing I can tell people about when you finish reading this book, you'll understand that it's a lot more than just, what products you could buy. Mm -hmm. It's learning how to think about all the choices you make in your life as what if it had a price tag on it? What Mm -hmm. if you watched a video on YouTube about some new fitness thing Mm -hmm. and you thought, okay, do I want to do that or not? Okay. What if I wasn't just kind of learning about that from, you know, like, Hey, does this, should I take this supplement or not? What if I thought about that in terms of, okay, it's got a price, not just the price tag for the supplement, Mm-hmm. But what do I have to do in my life? How much is that going to cost me in times of time? Mm-hmm. You know, time with my family, be- behaviors I'm going to have to do or not. How many times am I going to have to go to the gym? If you start thinking about making a consumer choice versus, you know, reading a story in the New York Times, you're like, why do they want me to believe that? What if I had to buy no. that story? Mm-hmm. If I had to buy it, what else do I need to buy? Mm-hmm. Uh, You turn on your consumer instincts because most people I know are very, very, very good at comparing products and figuring out what's right for them, but they don't take that same mindset into media. (laughs) They don't take it into what they listen to, what they buy, all of that stuff. And I'm saying after you finish this book, you will. You'll learn how to do it. It's really cool.
1: And that's really important. You know, there's an old line from the band Rush, uh, Neil Peart wrote, I believe, uh, that said, uh, we will pay the price, but we will not count the cost. And I remember that stuck in my head in the 90s. And I was like, yeah, people really don't consider the cost of stuff. You know, I'll sit down with my friends who got divorced and we'll sit down with their alimony and child support. And I'd be like, okay, so uh, how much fun times did you have over the 10 years? And then uh, what was the cost of it? I'm like wow, you could have you could have just been partying in uh, in Vegas the whole time uh, every weekend, um, for what you paid. But uh, there you go, uh, you've got alimony and child support for the next twenty years. Have fun <laughs> with that. And uh, you know, I think who's the, who's the Yellowstone star? He's going through that right now. Um, the uh, Kevin Costner. Yeah.
0: Oh Costner! I thought you were going to say Harrison Ford, but that's nineteen twenty three, isn't that? That's true. There's a yeah, there's a couple
1: that's... spinoffs now, isn't there?
0: Yeah, um, I I lose track.
1: <laughs> so uh can you give us a couple tease outs from the book uh there's a lot of great brands that were built back then i was going to say Anheuser Busch. we had one of their people on recently uh talking about their how the family was built uh, coca-cola you know there's a lot of great brands that were built during this time and or probably you know finally hit Pater during this time uh, can you tease out a little a couple stories or something that uh, we can do
0: Yeah, I think there are a couple that really jump out. I mean, obviously, Mm -hmm. you know, this was the Babe Ruth era and kind of Wrigley Field. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's, you know, the little black dress, you know, became popular. So if you look at women wearing clothes today and you just kind of go to like a cocktail party, they could have been at that same cocktail party a hundred years ago and they would have fit in. Because it's basically the same dresses, the same jewelry, the same fragrances, the same, Mm -hmm. all of that same stuff. Uh, but a couple of things that really strike ho- close to home for most people, uh, most people don't know that frozen foods were invented in the 1920s, commercially available frozen foods. Oh, wow. And it's uh, the inventor was Clarence Birdseye, you know, so Birdseye frozen vegetables, uh, they became more popular in the thirties, but the story is really cool. It's kind of the the short version of the story is that he was just, he's a crazy curious guy and he ended up, through circumstance, up in Labrador, Canada with his wife. And he'd go out uh, fishing with the Inuit uh, anglers up there. They'd drill a hole in the ice. They'd auger it out. They'd take the fish out and they'd throw it onto the ice and the fish, because it was about negative 40 degrees, the fl- the fish would freeze in like three seconds. Bam! Frozen. Huh. You know, frozen hard. Like hard frozen. Not like your freezer at home frozen. This is... Minnesota frozen. in frozen winter frozen
1: yeah,
0: there you go. so uh, and here's the thing have you ever frozen something <laughs> from the fridge into the freezer and you heat it up the next day and it tastes like mush yeah it just tastes terrible I well what bird's eye was one of the first people to figure out is the inuits when they reheated their fish it's like oh well this is really good why is it that frozen fish that was flash frozen like that tastes good mm-hmm. And the stuff I freeze in my freezer tastes like garbage. He knew it's first first microwaves. <laughs> <laughs> Did I get it right? <laughs> well, it, the uh, what he kind of figured out is that you need to freeze food and vegetables really, really fast because the water inside the cell walls will freeze. And when water freezes, it expands. When it expands, it bursts mm-hmm. them. And that's what makes food taste like mush. When you freeze it fast it doesn't give the water a lot of time to expand. Hmm. That's the science lesson you probably learned in 10th grade. But here's the the practical application is he figured out how to freeze it, not up in Labrador, Canada, but using chemicals in a factory. So basically mass-producing frozen fish like Henry Ford mass-produced cars and was able to get all of that to market and people could have frozen fish if they lived in Minnesota. They could have corn if they lived in Florida. They could have berries if they lived in Arizona. All of that stuff, that was all possible, and that was just not possible before the 1920s. It was that guy's singular invention and kind of bringing that to market that made it all happen. It was the first time we could choose to have food. We could choose what we wanted to eat. And eat it it year-round. Eat it year-round. Yeah. Like most people have no concept of what that's like that. Yeah. Like, Hey, if, if, uh, strawberries are out of season, you are SOL, Yeah, you know, but he was the first person who said, nah, I can, I can fix that.
1: There you go. You know, I mean, at first kind of lay a foundation for globalization. Cause now we get vegetables year round from all over the world, you know,
0: that whole idea. It's like, if you think about the long tail of impact there, mm-hmm. that like we can get i i live in uh, minneapolis minnesota and mm. we don't we don't got no lobsters here i can promise you that no matter how deep <laughs> the lakes are uh there are no lobsters outside of the tank outside of those restaurants that we don't want to give their trademark on the sure. show but you know you've been to one and you can pick the one you yeah. want dead up mm-hmm. in the front you say kill that one for me it's
1: uh, like an executioner i know it's a little on. weird i'm, gonna, uh, I'm never going to be able to go into one now
0: Oh, you will now, because you want to kill me that one. Yeah, that's uh, probably
1: something sadistic that I have going on there.
0: But, or that but there's, but I can get lobster here. I can get fresh fish, fresh ocean fish uh, from anywhere. And when I was down in Key West, they had corn. They had cornstarch. They had all those things. You can't grow corn in Key West. You can't yeah. grow much of anything in Key West. There isn't that much space there. Just hurricanes. But, it, it, hurricanes, sugarcane rum. There's a lot of rum in Key West.
1: And I, limes, evidently.
0: Yeah, lime. key lime, key lime pie. Do have that if you're there. That is very. Do they very grow tasty. the
1: limes in key lime pie in, in Key West?
0: They're little yeah. teeny ones. Uh, they yeah. do. They do grow some there, but most of them yeah. are growing in South America now. Oh, yeah. Okay. Dirty I'm little sure secret. On.
1: There you go so this is these are great stories and and helping people kind of realize how these things ro- rose and uh do you find that uh, do you find that uh, who's going to be targeted most of the book is it marketers people who build brands and and want lessons on how they go
0: yeah here's the thing i there are a lot of those people that read my book uh mm-hmm. you know who will know me or have heard of me uh mm-hmm. and that's great i i i love writing for them uh but I try to write for people who would not ordinarily pick up a history book. You know, most Mm. of the, I, I know there are a lot of people who the thought of reading a history book just gives them hives. And they're like, you know what? I'm, I just want to read a mystery. I want to read a romance novel, whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, I actually read and listen to a lot of mystery science fiction and romance novels uh, because not only are they uh, Mm well-written, but they're, they're, They're engaging in a way that most history is not. And it's just, I don't know what it is about kind of this, there is a version of historian that wants to kind of make sure that it's, you know, every I is dotted, every T is crossed. And I I love them. I couldn't do what I do without them. But it's very difficult for the lay person to kind of pick that up and get interested in it. You've got to be able to tell those stories that are interesting and fun in a way that, a person who's used to reading romance novels would pick this up. So I market my books to people who don't read history. Mm-hmm. And so I, they're a really hard audience. I think that, you know, people who are historians and marketing folks, you know, they, they have their own, you know, they, they either like some parts, they don't like others, you know, whatever. But my hardest audience are the people mm-hmm. who said, yeah, I read Nora Roberts or I read, you know, uh, James Patterson, or I read Stephen King. Why or, would I pick uh, up your book? I got to make my book something that they would pick it up and say, "I want to, I want to read that." I'll give you a shot. So
1: does that's anybody I say they read? For. Does anybody say they read Fifty Shades of Grey and read their yearbooks?
0: I will tell you, there are a couple of chapters in the <laughs> book that uh, that that do get a little naughty. Uh, we do huh? talk about birth control in Booze Babe in the Little Black Dress, and huh? it is e for explicit folks i just i will tell you that it's uh uh, uh just e for explicit uh there you is. are you are well warned
1: sounds like saturdays when i go to vegas and hit spirit reno um so be. you know you have the nice sexy title the booze babe and little back dress people go oh, yeah, that's interesting and then you got the how innovators of the roaring 20s created the consumer as revolution so you got like the business and the sexiness there are going on Let's uh let's get a plug-in for your other book uh that's really interesting. The one about the presidents and uh I had that one up. Now I gotta flip to it here. Uh Marketer in Chief, how each president sold the American idea. Uh tell us a little bit about this book, because I I think it's very interesting as well.
0: Yeah, I, I'm a big I'm a big history buff, as you can guess. Most marketing we're starting to ever- figure that out. Yeah, 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 yeah. You you got that. You got that. <laughs> we're part. starting to get that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There aren't a lot of historians in kind of my chosen field. Uh, we tend to kind of look forward. We're always trying to create the new thing, right? I mean, that's our job is to create a new mm-hmm. thing. We don't get a lot of points for creating old things, so. <laughs> There aren't a lot of people out there like me. So I, the one that's good in that I don't get a lot of competition, but it's bad that I don't have a lot of competition. I don't have other people I can look to. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I wrote Marketer in Chief, uh, I wanted to get a sense for. I just wanted to explore how each president, not just like, hey, it's just Lincoln and Roosevelt and Barack Obama and George Washington. Like, No, I had mm-hmm. to challenge myself to look at each president because each president was kind of the chief marketing officer of the United States. Hmm. And and here's why I say that when you think about the United States, let's compare that to China, for instance, what makes you a Chinese person? Well, like, okay, you live inside the border of China or hmm. you were born there or something. There. Uh, and you are ethnically Han Chinese with a few other ethnicities kind of mixed in there. But, If you are from China, you are Chinese. If you're American, what is that? America is not really a geography. You know, Mm -hmm. yeah, there's a United States area, but America is an idea. You know, it was the very first country that was really founded on kind of a set of ideas and ideals, more Mm -hmm. than just a geography that a people could defend. Mm -hmm. So... The whole, the, the whole thought is, okay, it wasn't about kind of protecting the borders and kicking people out kind of like European history, African history, Asian history, you know, South American history. It was more like, how do you convince people that this is the place they wanted to be because they didn't, most people weren't born into it up front. Yeah. Everyone had to immigrate here. Yeah. You know, my, my, parents, my parents immigrated here. They had mm-hmm. to choose it. So I felt like I wanted to rethink the role of the president, not as like commander in chief, mm-hmm. but as the person who is out there saying, America is really cool and you want to be a part of it. It's so cool. You want to immigrate here. It's so good. You don't want to be part of France anymore. You want to come here to do mm-hmm. this, even though the food isn't going to be as good. Yeah.
1: Plus, we don't surrender either. So that's just that.
0: Yeah, we did bail them out of a couple of big ones. Didn't yeah, we?
1: France, France joke there. Yeah,
0: they have that white flag as as their
1: flag thing. Though no, I'm just kidding, France, get over it. Um, but yeah, the American idea and how it's being sold, and and presidents, I guess, have sold this throughout all the different years. And you go through all 45 of them.
0: That's right, 45? all from. Yeah. You no, know, I even had to hit Zachary Taylor. You got to hit Franklin Pierce. Oh, Zachary gotta, Taylor, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, right, yeah. Like everybody, like oh yes, of course. That's uh, a tough
1: one to crack. I'm sure.
0: You know, and most people most people kind of remember, like, oh, you know, I remember the last three, four presidents, and it, you know, the the tricky part of the book was no one's going to challenge, no one outside of historians are going to challenge my impressions of John Adams or, you know, uh, you know, uh, even Abraham Lincoln, those folks. You know, if you kind of pick a story in there and mm. you you kind of talk about it. There's not a, you don't get people emotional about it. Well, I also had to get a little closer to home and you get to Carter, Reagan, Bush, Bush, Mm -hmm. you know, Clinton. Mm -hmm. Is there another Bush? There was. There was almost another Bush.
1: It seems like that. There was like 50. There's always another 15. There's always another 15 Roosevelts and like, I think five or six Jacksons, uh, Johnsons. Yeah. There's, Seems like there was everything. Yeah. There's only one Nixon, fortunately.
0: There so. was only one Nixon. Yeah, there's in more ways than one. There's only one.
1: Yeah, the uh, I, it's a good thing. Did he have kids?
0: He did, didn't he? Yeah, he did. I think he did. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's funny. You know, what do you do if uh, there was an SNL skit I watched a while ago? It was like the change a of name office. Your listeners can Google it. It is a good skit. Uh, I uh-huh. think Pete Davidson wrote the skit. It was all about kind of funny names. Uh-huh. And there was a guy like whose, whose great uncle was Adolf Hitler. And you think like, <laughs> like H- H- how do you, uh, uh, how do you, how do you, what do you do there? I just, yeah. uh, I, I don't know how you, how you live with that, but.
1: Especially if you have that same mustache thing going on. Yeah. yeah that he ruined that must uh, hitler ruined that mustache for that anybody. was the charlie was chaplin really. mustache yeah you yeah see that's it, like, right
0: wasn't it yeah yeah in the 20s you saw a lot of guys like i looked at a lot of pictures of people in the 1920s because duh i had to write that book mm-hmm. uh and there are a lot of people who had the hitler Like you have wow. no idea how popular that was <laughs> no idea like lots of people had it so you know when people saw you know hitler on german tv it wasn't like, oh, that's the Hitler mustache. They're like, oh, why is that weirdo looking like Charlie Chaplin?
1: Yeah, which is ironic because then Charlie Chaplin did that whole great movie on him, where he it was kind of based on him, uh, and uh, a great bit. Um, so, uh, so how hard was it to go through and and try and dig all this up? I mean, I, obviously, with recent presidents, you know, there's a lot of. Uh, there's a lot of recorded data and press on them. Uh, you know, was it hard to get it from some of the more obscure presidents?
0: Oh yeah. There's no question. I think, Mm -hmm. uh, if I recall, there might've only been on, on some of the presidents, there might only be one or two biographies at all. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, uh, the white house.gov, you know, the, you know, they've got a little histories and biographical sketches and a few references. You Mm -hmm. can find, uh, entire books on abraham lincoln's wife's recipes like, there are oh. whole books on that but you look at the dude before him andrew johnson who was a piece of work you look at that guy and there might be 10 books total written about mm-hmm. him uh so there's definitely a uh you know a sense for you know american history where we tend to pay attention to the winners. And the ones that, you know, Washington, Jefferson, Lincoln, Roosevelt, Roosevelt, you know, uh, Roosevelt, maybe we remember Roosevelt. Roosevelt. There's another <laughs> Roosevelt. But if you ask people to like, hey, can you name five presidents? No problem. Can you name 10? Okay. Yeah. Most people can't. Name 20. Most wow. people can't name 20. Mm-hmm. And th- part of that is because presidents generally, before FDR, really, before Mm -hmm. Lincoln, for sure, before FDR, absolutely, the president wasn't that big of a deal. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was Congress that was the big deal, and that was on purpose. Uh, Mm. Most people haven't read this part of the Constitution. I know a lot of, like, real Constitution rah-rah guys who have never actually read it. (laughs) When you read the Constitution, and it lays out the three branches of government, right, Mm -hmm. they'll say... You'd think, oh well, president, Congress, and the courts. It's not how it is. The first is Congress. And it is like three thousand words describing what they do. Mm-hmm. There's like a thousand words describing what the president does, and there's like a footnote describing what the courts are supposed to do. Mm, so when you when think about, like, as hey, as it's public. yeah, well, he could have written some more about that. And why they, hasn't
1: they could have maybe some rules and ethics regulations. <laughs> <laughs> But we're finding out now. Uh and that's really interesting. So Congress was supposed to be almost maybe more important than the president. Maybe the president was supposed to be more of a figurehead.
0: Well, if you, you gotta put yourself in the shoes of the people who were there at the time, you know, they mm-hmm. fought a war to not have a king. That's true. Uh so that was kind of what was on their mind at the time. So they wanted more of a parliament kind of congressional branch. The legislative branch was supposed to be primary. Mm-hmm. And under that, like, okay, we do know, we do understand the need for a figurehead, a you know, someone who is kind of head cheerleader and administrator, and then, yeah, you know, we need courts. Courts are important, but they'll figure that out for themselves. They spent most of their time on Congress, so the big deals were who was, who were in charge of the congressional committees. When you read history of that era, and you think, oh, I'm going to read a biography of You know, Andrew Jackson. Mm -hmm. Well, Congress features really prominently, uh, during Mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, just very much co-equal, if not much more important than the president.
1: There you go. Um, well, Clarence Thomas definitely, evidently figured out really well how to run SCOTUS, uh, and, uh, and, uh, put it up for sale to any billionaire willing to buy. Um, you know, this is interesting, is it kind of based around the framework of, you know, in our, in our, uh, in in our constitution, it says that we're, we're, uh, I'm missing one of the words, but we're basically on a path to try and form a perfect union. Um, And it's not claiming that we're perfect or that we might ever achieve it, but we're, we're working towards that at all times. And that seems to be, a theme through um, all of our history and maybe always will be a theme. I remember when uh, uh, President Obama said, you know, this is what we do. We're not a perfect union. We zig, we zag, uh, we, we go back and forth. And uh, somewhere overall this zigzagging over almost 250 years, um, we, we just try and get it right or try and get it better. Writer, um, yeah, writer, as it were. And uh, sometimes we 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 don't always do the right thing, and we can look back on history and go, "Yeah, maybe we uh, made some mistakes there. or Maybe a lot of mistakes, actually, when you look at the history of this country." Um, but uh, maybe we're better. But yeah, you're you're right. Every every president tries to sell what the uh, what the American dream ideal should be. You know, we've had that great Statue of Liberty standing out there in the ocean that, that uh, seemed to convey a lot of that imagery or that, that idealism Uh, was that kind of some, was that something that that a lot of people picked up on and ran with for, you know, ever since that uh, thing came over for France.
0: Yeah. There's always been a sense of, you know, you know, kind of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. There you go. You know, that, uh, it's really the key word in all that's pursuit. People think it's a, well, it's life, it's liberty, it's happiness. Like, no, it's the pursuit, it's mm-hmm. the journey, mm-hmm. and you know that's it, really what the framers figured out and what the genius really was. Wasn't any of the specifics that were in there. It was that we have to have something that can change over time, and you know, what's the right balance? You change too quickly and things fall apart. You change too slowly and things kind of calcify. You know, so it's kind of getting the right balance and you never get it perfect. But over time, uh, over time, if you leave flexibility that, you know, you've got a kind of a pursuit of something, a more perfect union mm-hmm. you know, and the realization that you'll never get there. there you uh, go. Uh, that part is important for people to understand as frustrating as they get, as things can get that, you know what, it's been frustrating before. It's mm-hmm. looked bad before. You know, and just I I think that's the big reason that Chris, I think, that people should take in more history is that it'll actually make them a lot more hopeful for the future. Mm Because If you read history of what it was like, not in 1929 when the stock market crashed, Mm -hmm. but around 1933, when people finally kind of got the memo that this is going to suck and it's going to suck for a long time. And you mm-hmm. think about someone who is escaping the Oklahoma or the Kansas Plains because all the topsoil blew off—the old Dust Bowl. The Dust Bowl, and you had mm-hmm. to take you—you you had to basically walk to California. It, mm-hmm. it it makes sometimes kind of the problems we have today seem a little bit more manageable. <laughs> it definitely
1: does. You know, you give me epiphany when you were talking about how um, the. Uh, Uh, You know, the, the ideals there. Um, One thing that's interesting is, is that's been our biggest sell as a democracy is that um, forming that perfect union and trying to always strive towards it. uh, And, and I think the key word is probably freedom in there. Having the freedom to be able to do that because that's what we've always sold. That's been the brand that we've sold, and that's why people around the world have always wanted to come to this country. They're you know, it it it, it people really bash immigration, but um, especially on Fox News. Um, but when you really think about it, and it, 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 the people are willing to give their lives to come here. You really think about the people that when you and I grew probably grew up, or at least when I grew up, there was the wall at the USSR.
0: Oh, you bet! I, their, I was there. Yep. Yeah,
1: the people gave their lives to to try to get the freedom. The freedom was so important, and that potential, uh, or the or the uh, chance of the potential, and and the need. You know, I, I when I when I grew up looking at the USSR and communism, and I look at I look at America. Um, the it, it really was uh, not just uh, two different political I, I ideals; it was human ideal. It was the ideal of the human spirit, the human drive, the human vision, the human, um, ability to be limitless or have the potential to be limitless where, you know, the other one was kind of the destruction or the killing or the regulation of the human spirit, you know, and I guarantee of, uh, well, you know, you'll get fed today and you guaranteed jobs and stuff like that. But, uh, but, yeah, you, you better sit down and shut up and not cause any problems. Um, and and you just see the difference of it, you know. Uh, and and really, that's, as you mentioned, what people need to learn to love and appreciate about this country as an entrepreneur, that's what I've always loved about this country, the ability for just about anybody. You know, you, you see people that can come here and they can be an immigrant even today, and they can come out the latest, hottest thing, the greatest thing. They can be poor and become rich, um, you know. We seem to be more rugged individualism than anything, and certainly, you know, some of the economic things we've had that have uh, put stress on the middle America, and it it seems to be a little bit harder to achieve the American dream these days. But still, the the potential is there, and uh, and that's the beauty of it. That's why people from all over the world want to come here. That, and we have Big Macs, so there's that.
0: Oh yeah, McDonald's. That's a. you know, people like KFC is the big thing people love outside mm-hmm. of here. It's yeah, it's a weird thing. I I just look at it this way, you know, as a as someone who's into product development, you know, you know, you think about people lined up outside the app, you know, an Apple store when a new iPhone comes out. Uh you know, an iPhone, the the first one or the first couple, they're just lines out the door, like the Nintendo products or you know, whatever the case may be that's how that's a way to kind of think about the United States. Like you can, there are a lot of things to criticize about the United States and in the Mm -hmm. book marketer in chief, there's plenty of that to go around. But what you'd always come away with though, is, Hey, even though that iPhone's not perfect, that Nintendo's not perfect, that Taylor Swift concert might not be the best concert ever, Mm -hmm. but there's people lined up down the block to get in. That Mm -hmm. tells you something as a marketing person, as someone in product development, People are voting with their feet, yeah. and it, if you ever doubt that, you're like, "Well, immigration, this and that." Like, okay, stop for a second. Just you know, every four years, every two, really, uh, you've got an Olympic Games. Look mm-hmm. at all the Olympics. Like, okay, you you see the Chinese national team. Who's on the Chinese national team? Chinese people. Mm-hmm. You know, you go to the Japanese team. Who's on the Japanese team? Japanese people. You know, you go to most countries in the world. All of the people are kind of ethnically similar. Mm-hmm. What's the only exception to that? You go yeah. to the United States, and you've got people from all over the world who have yeah. chosen to be part of the United States. Sometimes that, we steal people from other people's Olympics. Sometimes, teams. yeah, we we get them to <laughs> we get them to defect. That yeah. happened a lot more when we were kids than it does now.
1: Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and that just speaks to the beauty of American dream. And, and and what more people need to recognize is that's one of our beauties, the melting pot. I mean, we've got so many CEOs now. I mean, the CEO of Google and in different countries, Steve Jobs, uh, parents were immigrants. Um, immigration is one of the greatest things for us, uh, especially now as we're starting to compete with larger marketplaces of consumers that far outnumber us. and And we're starting to see the damage of dwindling populations you know india looks like it's probably going to rise as as china falters because of its one child policy as an economy it was you know it was destined to be the largest economy by 2025 over the last 10 or 15 years that's been rummaging around if not 20 years and um and that looks like it's faltering partially because they're going to go through what japan's going through with this uh this uh, uh degentrification is that the right word um and we're kind of in the same boat where we're starting to slow down uh where india is uh you know they're just warming up over there baby and they may be the largest market ever um i mean that people don't realize how much us having the power of the dollar and and most of the goods in, in the in the world are processed through the dollar is kind of our lasting grace. It used to be mortgages too, but uh, we blew that one. Um, so, any uh, give us your final thoughts uh, uh, as we go out, uh, final pitch on uh, your books and uh, all that good stuff.
0: I think the biggest thing that will give people, because yeah, there's a lot of anxiety right now, Chris, you know, people are worried about climate, they're worried about the economy, they're worried about politics. Mm-hmm. And and I talk with a lot of people about that. And I say, you know what? The more history you read, the more hopeful you are. So if you want to kind of give yourself a little emotional boost, read mm-hmm. Marketer-in-Chief. Read Booze, Babe, in the Little Black Dress. Read other great history books that people will recommend to you. Because when you see how people in the past faced circumstances much tougher than the ones we're facing now, and they overcame them. Mm-hmm. You'll get that inspiration, that kind of feeling that says, I can do this. We can yeah. do this. This will be okay. This, it, yeah, there are problems. Absolutely. But we figured out a way to get through them before. We're all still here. Mm-hmm. That's cool. It makes you feel not like, hey, that you're ignoring all this stuff. No, it makes you want to face the problems and get over them. Yeah. And rather than being fatalistic, I read, Chris, that. You know, I can't remember what the percentage of Gen Z felt like, you know, that the world would end within 50 years from kind of climate annihilation, that within 50 years, every, you know, every human in the world would be dead. It was a shockingly large number of people. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's true or not. You know, maybe it is. And we all got 50 years left. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I somehow doubt it. But I think when I take a look at that and I think. Okay, there's an entire generation of people who don't have that kind of hope and optimism that comes from, you know, we are not descended. Uh, what was the old quote? It was a Brit who said this. "The We are not descended from, you know, kind of weak-minded people. We are mm. descended from tough people. We can mm. get through this. Read history. Give yourself a little shot in the arm. That's the best thing I can tell you.
1: There you go. We're Americans. Damn it. This is what we do. And, uh, you know, maybe we need to get back to that. Realize we're all Americans. This is one of the things that I, I do when I, I go into any sort of politics or discussion that come up. I use the foundation. I go, we're going to make uh, we're going to make a clear point here. We're all Americans. And I don't, right. give, I don't give a fuck about your party. I don't give a fuck about what your politics are. We're Americans first. And we're brothers and sisters here. And uh, now if you want to talk about some political ideas, we can talk about that. But I want everyone to remember, we're Americans first. And that's more important than parties and and everything else. Um, And it's kind of interesting how when you frame it that way and set that foundation, the conversation changes a little bit. Yeah, it gets better, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Because when people lead with parties, like, who are you? I'm a GOP. I'm I'm a Democrat. You know, then... Uh, you, yeah. you're already lost in the discussion because everyone's got their thing, especially now where people are so segmented. And I think your your book, what we've talked about highlights that where we need to get back to going, we're Americans first, damn it. The Constitution is important. You know, you kind of highlighted one of my big annoyances is just use, anybody who usually is running around mouthing, the Constitution says... Uh, has never read it and usually can't read either actually i think it's like 50 (laughs) i think i think i saw a statistic someone said 54 percent of people read at a fourth grade level in this country or something um you know and then there's the my favorite ad is george carlin's thing uh think how dumb the average person is and realize 50 percent of the people are 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 hard to remember that yeah
0: (laughs) So God bless George Carlin. Yeah.
1: I mean, if you I, I I I was talking with somebody the other day, and they're like, you know, 30% of this country supports some batshit stuff. And I'm like, if you study history, 30% of this country has always supported batshit stuff.
0: Oh, yeah. Like, That's yeah. yeah, you'll yeah, you'll see uh, especially back in the 20s, you know. I, I cover some of those things as like sidebars, you know. Yeah. Uh people believed some weird stuff. And yeah. like you thought, oh, well, there was no one like insert your bugaboo here yeah. like oh man that's that mm. that dude's nothing compared to this guy mm. yeah uh yeah it's it, it's so hopeful to read that You're like oh this isn't so bad yeah we, we got this it gives you a yeah. perspective yeah huh.
1: for sure I mean, 30 percent of this country even after listening to nixon with the with the tapes and everything the smoking gun tapes and everything 30 percent of this country were still behind him after he resigned you know and they went through that whole kerfuffle uh you know there's a, a portion of this country has always been trailer park and probably always will be and uh i don't know if that's okay or not but you know as long as as long as you know it's kind of like the, if you really study too the moderates in this country the people in the middle uh who aren't on the extremes of both parties they're actually the ones who really shape things because no one can win a presidency without them Yeah. Over time,
0: uh, over time, you find that they do that, you know, people feel like, oh, it's just, it's extremes on either side that tend to, you know, to push things. And yeah, they have an influence. There's no question that they can, you know, they can be loud, they can be noisy. But if you kind of look, the, you know, the reality is, is 70% of all economic activity in the United States is driven by individual consumer choices. Mm -hmm. That's, it's such a powerful fact that, if the average American doesn't want to buy that, doesn't want to sign up for that, mm-hmm. they won't. That it's just as simple as that. And no matter what policy you've got, if it's not in tune with what the mainstream is, and they quit buying your product, you're done. You yeah. quit buying your political ideal, it stops getting clicks on YouTube or Twitter, you're done. Mm-hmm. And that's a wonderful corrective mechanism that people can make their own choices, Mm -hmm. And that's what I deeply believe in. Like people make their own choices and they will, uh, they will make the right ones eventually, not all the time, uh, Mm -hmm. but it's okay. Uh, You know, eventually they will make the right calls uh, given enough time.
1: And then the great thing about our democracy is, you know, we have the ability to readjust and reset and go, yeah, but that those four years probably weren't the best. (laughs) work. We were we were probably a little drunk uh, with something or power or whatever. I don't know what was going on then, but uh, we're we're off the juice and uh, we're gonna we're gonna try something else or maybe we're gonna try to go back to normal. So and then hopefully we don't you know zigzag some more. Uh, it's been wonderful you having the show, Jason. Very thoughtful and exciting to read both your books because uh, I love history. The one thing man can learn from his history is that man never learns from his history, and thereby we just go around and around, you know. Uh, we just repeat everything just to, just to make sure we didn't. What's that old joke that sometimes I hear the chicks on TikTok say? Sometimes I just keep doing the thing I shouldn't do over and over again just to make sure that it was the wrong thing not to do, you know, <laughs> just to make sure, you know, something like that. There's something they say about I that love it. I So, Jason, give us your .coms wherever we want people to find you on the interwebs.
0: Yeah, people can best find me at jasontvojovich.com. That's my personal website. You can also look me up on LinkedIn or Amazon.
1: There you go. Uh, thank you for coming on the show. We really appreciate it, man.
0: You're welcome. Thank you for having me.
1: There you go. And thanks, man, for tuning in. Order the book where our fine books are sold. It came out March 24th, 2023. Uh, Booze, Babe, and the Little Black Dress, How Innovators of the Roaring Twenties Created the Consumer Revolution. Thanks, Midas, for tuning in. Go to goodreads.com, for Chris Voss, uh, youtube.com, for Chris Voss, linkedin.com, fortress Chris Voss, and uh, TikTok at Chris Voss1. Thanks for being here. Be good to each other. Stay safe, and we'll see you next time.